This is Vanessa. And you are here. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again to learn about maps. This episode is going to be all about projections. And don't let that scare you off. We're not going to be super boring about it. Projections could be boring and mathematically intense, but they also are very interesting, especially with respect to their implications today and yesterday, uh, basically on how we project a 3D space onto a flat plane. So if I could just take a moment, I'll define essentially what a projection is. So we take a geographic coordinate system, which is latitude and longitude on a globe, and we make it into a projected coordinate system also known as a map projection, uh, by using a mathematical transformation to put it onto a two-dimensional surface. So you even do this with movies, for example. You're taking the 3D you know, uh, scene and you're projecting it onto your movie screen, which is a flat screen. That's a projection also. And when you do this, when you make a mathematical transformation, uh, Basically, it's going to distort something, right? Because when you take that globe and you put it onto a flat plane, something is going to not work exactly right. So there are four places or things that can get distorted, area, angle, direction, or distance. And I typically remember these as AADD, area, angle, direction, or distance. That's kind of the nitty gritty of what a projection is. And there's lots of different mathematical project, uh, transformations and therefore lots of different projections. So many different projections. Um, we are going to start with one of the most famous projections. Um, well, I, I think it's one of the most famous projections. Um, it's called Mercator, uh, specifically the 1569 Mercator world map. Um, yes, 1569, uh, that is the year it was created. Um, projections have been in existence for quite some time. I personally think that's um, one of the coolest things about mapping and cartography is that people were doing really accurate representations of the world, um, even when they didn't know what the world looked like yet. <laughs> In terms of um, projections, anyway, not necessarily country borders <laughs> or coastlines, I should say. Well, yes. If you look at the Mercator 1569 world map, just Google that and you'll find lots of different um, uh, places online where you can where you can see it. Um, you can definitely see that a lot of the coastline is correct and a lot of it is incorrect. <laughs> Speaking of coastline, the west coast of the U US is just totally unknown. And so at this time, the cartographers just filled it in with whatever they thought it might look like. It's really big legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, I think we discussed that in the last episode as well, just how interesting historical maps can be with the way people choose to fill up space. Um, I also could be looking at a different image than you, Gretchen, based off of what I Googled for it. Uh, but the one I'm looking at um, has the US with a lot of text on it in a really intricate sort of legend. Um, Mercator has made a lot of different maps and some of them have similar names. So you might run into different 
um, visuals of it. But essentially what's uh, interesting about the Mercator map and what makes it special is it has uh, tile, what I mentally reference as a very tiled visual of the world, which is really um, every projection, every, every sort of really flat projection too. It's just a big grid. And the Mercator grid, it has um, more squares close to the equator. And then as you go farther out towards the poles, um, they get a little longer and become more rectangular. Um, and they're really long um, rectangles as soon as you hit the North and South Pole. And what it's doing is it's flattening the globe and creating these really major distortions at the poles. And uh, Mercator didn't care because he cared more about creating um, uh, smaller square, squares, basically, um, close to the ocean where he was um, helping people navigate the oceans. Um, the purpose of this map really was for navigation, and it helped uh, uh, sailors, <laughs> sailors, I don't know if sailors is the right word, um, explorers, helped explorers uh, be able to go from point A and point B and um, be able to see it on the map as they were navigating. Right. Yes. Um, so the sailor, I think sailors is the correct term. Yes. Uh, so in the 1500s, you know, there was a lot of exploration going on across the Atlantic Ocean and this whole new world situation and wanting to figure out what was over there. And so this idea of having a map like this was really quite novel and really interesting to sailors for, for their use, but also as a wall map to show what we they thought the entire world might look like. And essentially what a sailor could do with this map is that they could go from, like I said, from point A to point B with a constant bearing or a constant angle. So they could set their compass to one you know, one angle or one bearing and then just follow it. And it's not going to be the actually shortest route from point A to point B, but it will get them there. And so that simplicity was a really uh, wonderful invention, I think, for those sailors at that time. Yeah, it was really important and really useful. Um, and I think that's the really important takeaway here is that every projection is very intentionally created for a very specific use case. And for Mercator's um, use case, it was for navigating the world, specifically oceans especially. Um, and the thing about Mercator though, is we continue to see the Mercator projection in use today. And um, in the 1980s, the 1990s, this um, well-known cartographer named Arthur Robinson, he really actually worked hard um, at the federal level in the United States to help get Mercator projections outside of our education systems, like uh, kindergarten to high school. Uh, he really didn't want that to be on the walls. Um, he didn't want them to be in educational textbooks because he knew that while this map was really useful for a navigation use case, it was causing a lot of distortions on the map that was making Africa look really small and making Greenland look really huge. Those are the two biggest examples of the distortions that are on this map in terms of geographic space that people are used to seeing. And he um, knew that people were learning 
if they saw this map all the time and didn't learn enough about geography, didn't learn enough about maps, didn't learn about projections that much in school, then people would kind of come away with this um, unintentional bias and uh, sort of misunderstanding of what the world actually looked like. And he actually was really successful with his campaign to get Mercator out of schools and out of books. And there are many other projections that are used in educational textbooks now to show the world. But the problem for us today is that um, web Mercator is a thing because um, Mercator is really good at tiling things because of the 90 degree angles that it really um, tried to maintain for navigation purposes. And so Web Mercator is what uh, became used in Google Maps and other mapping services. And now it's become so ubiquitous in our hands and on screens and in browsers. So we use Web Maps so much in our daily interactions that many people um, yet again think of the world in terms of the Mercator world and in terms of Mercator's shapes and sizes, rather than understanding that the world um, is actually a wide range of sizes and shapes and that Mercator is not accurately showing the world. Um, and so in terms of education, uh, that's a problem. And uh, that's also why we wanted to talk about projections today because uh, the way we see the world walking around uh, can be different than the way other people see it. And the same thing relates to how map makers make maps. Like we have to think about how we make decisions um, and how to portray the world and, and choosing the correct projection is one of them. And the next map actually we're gonna talk about um, that relates a lot to this is a map projection called the Equal Earth Projection. You can find the Equal Earth map on equal-earth.com. Yeah, and that um, on the website, um, Tom Patterson, one of its creators, defines its use case, which is the equal earth wall map is specifically for schools, organizations, or anyone who needs a map showing countries and continents at their true sizes relative to each other. He specifically highlighted Africa appears 14 times larger than Greenland as it actually is. And anywhere you live, the map has you covered. <laughs> I really loved that that was highlighted and thought it was a nice, funny um, sort of comparison to the Mercator that we were talking about. Right, right. And when Google Maps and Yahoo Maps, if you rem even remember those in the early 2000s or uh, Big Maps, when they all started using Mercator and MapQuest too, um, it, it became this thing where you would zoom out on the map and you, you'd see the Mercator projection. And that's the way kids would view the world and think that the world really looked like that. And it was really kind of confusing to people. But um, one thing that was kind of interesting that I just remembered as you were talking, Vanessa, is that about a year or two ago, uh, maybe just a year ago, Google Maps kind of switched what they were doing. And if mm -hmm. you zoom out, it's now a globe. So that was a nice sort of difference, right? Because now it kind of looks like a globe when you zoom out. And so you can see how things are a little bit better. Um, so that was cool. And oh yeah, you were talking about all the text that was on it. And in our previous, yeah. <laughs> in our previous episode, we were talking about the Babylonian map, which had a lot of text on it. And so does this one. And I noticed that one of the sources I was looking at, now I can't read Latin, which is what I assume language this is in, but the source said that there's actually a lengthy copyright statement on this oh. map. 
And as a cartographer, that really jumped out at me because it's it's the bane of all cartographers' existence is to have to put a lengthy copyright on your map because it takes up space. Now, maybe Mercator didn't mind because he had all of North America to, <laughs> to cover up with text, but that just leapt out to me as a cartographer. But you're right, we should move on to talking about the Equal Earth Projection that was created in 2017 by Boyan Savrick, Tom Patterson, and Bernard Jenny. The three of them got together and made this new projection. Yeah, and uh, the reason why they made projection is this projection is, is really because of all of the things that we've been discussing. And um, specifically, it was because in 2017, uh, the Boston Public Schools said that they wanted to change, move away from Mercator and some other projections and adopt this projection called Gauls Peter, which um, helped uh, remove some distortions, but also increase distortions elsewhere. But what it was doing was really highlighting a lot of the size of countries um, near the equator and a lot of the global south because uh, many uh, crit critiques of some projections is that the global south sometimes gets um, forgotten or kind of squished or, you know, cre creating this sort of unconscious um, societal cultural bias that people really want to not be happening because ultimately uh, someone decided that the north was north and the south was south, which was also not something that necessarily needed to be a choice. The south could be north. Like it doesn't need to be any specific orientation, but it kind of is this sort of like social bias that people have. So that's kind of what the Gauls Peter projection is trying to um, fix with the way they created that projection. Uh, and the equal earth projection was a response to uh, Boston public schools choosing that because they wanted to have a map that um, considered the ethics and considerations around equal areas and to really show um, as much space as possible on the earth and on the projection in an equal area and also maintain spatial relationships. So comparing different countries um, size-wise, one, a country that should be bigger than another country is appropriately bigger and so on. Um, so that um, all goes back to Robinson's goal as well. And it's, it was actually inspired by the Robinson projection. Um, Robinson, who I mentioned earlier, actually created his own projection. And uh, it, I just read a little bit of an interesting history about the Robinson projection because of reading about the Equal Earth projection. And I just thought it was interesting that um, National Geographic adopted the Robinson projection because they also wanted to have um, the best projection possible. But then in 1998, they changed to the Winkle Triple projection, another kind of projection, of course, because uh, they didn't like the distortion of land masses that the Robinson projection had. So essentially, um, every projection is just trying to find the perfect accuracy and remove as much bias as possible for a particular use case. But it's just really hard because any sort of flattening of the earth will create some kind of distortion. Well, yeah, and the Gall-Peters projection that you were referencing that the Boston Public Schools wanted to use, we um, I use the pun of all the Gall because <laughs> it looks terrible. Really? Uh, you know, it's like dripping laundry, essentially. The, the continents 
are the correct size, but they are not the correct shape. And mm -hmm. it, I think that it goes way too far with the shape distortion. And so you would think that all the, all the continents look like dripping laundry if you grew up with this map. And so I think that is kind of, that's why we discourage its use. Yes, that. And it, it would just be really hard to visualize data on it because of how distorted it is. <laughs> yes, yes. Could you imagine thematic data on there of you know COVID spreading or anything like that? I think would be difficult. Um, so definitely Robinson projection was good. Winkle triple was great. And then Equal Earth coming out, I think is a wonderful addition to those maps that are trying to depict the globe in, in the least you know distorted way. Um, and the really cool thing is as I was poking around equalearth.com is you can, you can, if you go on there, you can actually print this out. Tom Patterson did the cartography. You can print it out as this big wall map for free. So you just take the file to your local copy place and get it printed on a large format printer. And you've got yourself some great, a wall, a great wall reference really for your school or, or for your home. Yeah, it's really awesome Awesome how this uh, projection was made so accessible and also created into a, not just a projection, but a wall map so people can use it for the purpose that they made it for. Um, it'd be like Mercator handing out his map to every sailor, really. <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> exactly, that's a good point. And also Tom was really, um, adamant about trying to get all the place names translated into yeah. lots of different languages, which was great. So he actually has many other languages other than English uh, that you can choose from for this map that if you want to print it out. Yeah. And um, gosh, this like all this, the combos of trying to get everything perfect and have the perfect level of accuracy and least amount of bias is kind of the perfect intro into the next map projection we're going to talk about. Um, I actually need, think I need to look up the exact name because I have it labeled as the Princeton projection, which I don't think Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> Let me help you out. I know that if you were to do on your search engine, if you put in the term flat maps that improve on the Winkle triple, you should be able to find that's that's the basically the title of well that's that's the title of the Princeton no wait no it's screwed up uh, okay so flat maps that improve on the Winkle triple is the name of the PDF that you find on arxiv.org and that's the actual paper that goes with this projection but if you want to look at just the article from Princeton University. That one is titled Princeton Astrophysicists Reimagine World Map, Designing a Less Distorted, Radically Different Way to See the World. And I think um, everyone listening should definitely take a look at this article and read because it, it read about it because it really does summarize everything we've been talking about and is a great like final accumulation of it but what in in particular what caught my attention and other people's attention about this article is that the princeton article called the this projection in quotes revolutionary 
Um, and when I had a professor sent it to me um, at GW where I, I happened to be teaching a class and he's like, hey, did you see this? This is like the talk of the spatial world right now. And I read it and I was so interested. I was like really intrigued reading everything. And then when I saw that it was called Revolutionary, I kind of um, was I like laughed and then I thought, oh, maybe I'm missing something and I wanted to double check. So I tweeted about it and asked people their thoughts on specifically if it was revolutionary. Um, hey Vanessa, what's your what's your Twitter handle? Oh, good question. Um, my Twitter handle is run r u n underscore four f o r underscore funner f u n n e r. And Gretchen's is probably easier to remember. It's Peterson G G I S. Oh God, I can't talk. You should just say it. You got it. It's Peterson GIS, which is P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N G-I-S. And it's not Peter Songus, which many people think it's oh, Peterson yeah. GIS. Yeah, I guess if you read it lower. I've never thought. <laughs> but well, I, I interrupted you. You were oh, going no, to talk about the revolution part of this. Yeah, like essentially the unanimous response um, was that it is not revolutionary according to folks in the spatial industry. However, everyone um, provided a lot of great points and like histories and discussions around it. And really, um, I think people touched on the main part of everything that we've been talking about today that while it's not revolutionary, um, it is really good to talk about and technically hasn't been so technically this projection that they said is a projection, which is um, two halves of the earth, like one pole plus another pole kind of sat next to each other. Um, for uh, cartographers, we see each side of this, um, the North Pole that they're showing and the South Pole that they're showing as just two azimuthal projections. So azimuthal is a type of projection that really helps showcase poles. So this is why we're defining it as not revolutionary, um, but technically it, it is a new projection if you decide to put the two of them together and then call it a projection. So that aspect of it is revolutionary. But the writing that they did, did discuss how um, a lot of um, maps that are flattened, you know, have to find a place to split the world. Um, and it's really arbitrary, but it ends up being in the oceans because the oceans don't have a landmass. So it's either in the Pacific Ocean um, or in the Atlantic Ocean. And it's in some kind of way, like we're splitting the earth off from itself. So what they really um, highlighted in the creation of this um, projection is that there is a boundary cutoff problem that isn't really solved in all these other really um, often used projections. So I thought that was a really great thing that was highlighted um, because it isn't necessarily discussed enough um, or people know about it but don't talk about it. It's kind of like, you know, I think. Right. Like, so if you would imagine that you just made this ball of clay and you cut it in half where the equator would be, you know, the big part of the, the ball, you just like cut it in half. You take one of the halves and you, and you like smack it. Like this is wet clay, right? We haven't like dried it in a kiln yet or anything. So cut it in half and we like smash down, smash it down with your thumb, right? It has to split somewhere. And, uh, you know, basically we, well, it, it could split somewhere or it could just stretch, right? Where is it gonna stretch the most? It's gonna stretch the most near the equator 
and the least where you put your thumb, which is presumably in the middle, which is the, the north or the south pole, if you will. And that's an azimuthal projection. And so what these physicists did, there were three of them who made this uh, arguably what they're calling a projection, um, mm -hmm. They basically took two azimuthals, one for the North Pole and one for the South Pole, and they stuck them on top of each other to make a two-sided disc. They even referred to it as being like a record. And, and that's the revolutionary aspect of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is the unanimous decision that everyone <laughs> and, thought as well. I think um, I also just thought, you know, because they're astrophysicists, so um, I presume many, many planets are being mapped, maybe. And so this would be such a typical sort of visual for mapping um, other worlds. But it really, um, in terms of projections, that would get a lot of use for people on Earth um, telling uh, sharing information on maps. It is not, unfortunately, a functional projection for people and um, still might not be ideal for referencing different places because uh, while it is really a great example, I think, it also just, uh, people aren't used to seeing the world like that. So it could in some cases be confusing. Um, I also do think technically there's still the same level of bias here that other maps have because it's split into north and south and that's creating the same sort of um, problem that the Gauls Peter map was trying to move away from in a way. Although I do think it's interesting because it does highlight how much land the northern hemisphere has compared to the southern hemisphere. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. And, and uh, well, back to your point about it being essentially it's the North Pole and the South Pole. It's great for any data that you have that goes across the poles, uh, maybe bird migrations or something like that. Uh, but a lot of our data that we use in cartography is centered more around the equator or more above and below the equator rather than at the poles. And so it's not as helpful for that. Um, and... I don't know. I, I just want to bring in, okay, so I had the whole, I had the whole smashing the clay thing, right? So I have another one for you, another image. I was thinking of, have you ever been to a party store and you get one of those paper lanterns and it comes as a flat disc? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just this wire. I mean, those that could even be the latitude lines, right? Yeah. And, and, and you, you get it, you take it out of its package and you pull it apart and it, becomes this round thing. Well, that's the globe. And I'm just wondering, as long as you have two sides, why not just pull it apart and have a globe? Um, and so that's me being kind of, you know, uh, probably a little bit conservative, having been in the cartography world for many years and not being maybe open-minded enough. But I would say not super useful. And also, if I want to be super nitpicky, I might say this is not a flat map because it has two sides and therefore might actually be more of a 3D map, in which case, why not use a globe? Um, that said, teacher alert, it would be a cool visual. I, if you want to like have a little um, you know, thing to do in the classroom, if you look up the actual PDF, uh, flat maps that improve on the Winkle triple, 
by G- Gott, G-O-T-T, Goldberg, and Vanderbeek. And then you scroll all the way down to the end of the PDF. They actually include two pages that you can print off on your color printer, just eight and a half by 11s. You can have your students cut out both sides of the globe and stick them together. Maybe they can make a Frisbee out of it. I think it really was the intention was, you know, sort of education highlighting piece of talking about the biases, like they talked, they talked about how it's so easy to store in a box or put inside the cover of a textbook. So I think this is a really excellent um, starting point for conversations about bias and such things. Um, so perhaps in that sense, it's revolutionary, because I'm sure that's a great entry way point for students to really understand um, the level of bias that can happen or level of distortion, because it also could be fun to just have it come out the way that you just described. But really overall, um, everything we've discussed today, hopefully is highlighting how important projections are and how important it is to use projections for their uh, appropriate use case. And also that geography and shape really matter and that everything can really change to increase or decrease accuracy and bias. So I guess what I want to know from viewers is if there's any, like if you weren't aware of projections before, um, if you see any new ones, if you have any favorite ones, please let us know. Or if you have any questions, um, you can ping us on Twitter, just like, well, I can repeat mine, run for funner. Um, and Peterson GIS. And we're so happy to answer questions or um, I also thought like maybe maybe we can create a Twitter for you are here if you know we get enough questions because then we can really like have you direct that's probably easier to remember than my handle anyway. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make a Twitter for you are here. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, all right, let's have that wrap up. I'm sure we're going to talk about projections more in future episodes, but this is a great introduction highlighting these three maps, the, the Mercator 1569 world map, the EqualEarth.com that's much more recent, and then just just came off the presses last week, which was what they called a revolutionary map, which was this double-sided azimuthal map. All right, till next time. Thanks so much, listeners.